Have you noticed a little bit of a theme? Think about the messages you've heard preached over the last few weeks. You are significant. Live life to the full. Find the will of God. Be compelled by love to go out. Jump in the deep end and follow after Jesus. All the messages are saying this. You have giftings. You have purpose, you have destiny, you are called. Find out what it is and go and use it. We've got Mission Sunday next week. What's the message? God's got something inside of you, so what are you going to do? Go and use it. Go and give it away. We've heard people have left us to go on the mission field or are leaving us to go on the mission field. People have left us to go into ministry. People are finding a place of ministry in this church. It says in Revelation, hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And I believe he's talking to us right now. He wants us to know who we are, what we have got, and how to use it. You might say, are we going to go there again today? Are we going to change the subject? We don't change the subject if the Holy Spirit picks it. You know that? We have to stay where he is. So today we're going to carry on in the same vein, in line with this giving all to God, in this line of pursuing our destiny, pursuing our purpose, pursuing our calling. But I want to deal with something today that can be a little bit of a spanner, in the works. Something that could be a hindrance for us to pursue our calling, to step out. And even if we have stepped out, it might cause us not to move out in the fullness of what God has for us. We're going to start with a couple of scriptures before we get into the meat of this. Have you noticed I'm using the words and not this thing? Let's try. They might come out again later. Was it creatures of habit? Is that what it says? Okay. Right, come with me. 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 9 to 12. This is where we're going to start today. It's going to come up here behind. It might be slightly different. Most of what I read from is the New Living, and it will come up as the NIV, I'm sure. Verse 9 to 12. It says this. Don't you remember, dear brothers and sisters... Yeah, there we go. How hard we worked among you. Night and day we toiled to earn a living so that we would not be a burden to any of you as we preached God's good news. You yourselves are our witnesses, and so is God, that we were devout and honest and faultless towards all of you believers. And you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. We pleaded with you, encouraged you, and urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy, for he called you to share in his kingdom and glory. There's another verse. I'm just going to cherry pick this one to go with it. It's Ephesians 4.1. And it says, Therefore I, a prisoner, this is Paul talking, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. You've been called by God. You're a Christian. You've been chosen by God. We've been called to share in his kingdom, to share in his glory, 
to find out what we've got and give it away. That's the messages you've been hearing, right? But there's an issue in here. The one I want to deal with. It says, do it in a way that is worthy. Some of us might say, God, I want to lay it all down. I want to go for broke. I want to give all to you. But there can be something that can stop us, can hold us back. And it's the opposite of living worthy, and that's a sense of unworthiness. I want to deal with that today. I want us to identify some areas where we may see ourselves as unworthy. And what we want to do is counter those areas with the word of God. You know the word of God is a sword, and it can cut through stuff, and it can cut things down. And that's what we want to do today. Our goal is to bring us to a place where we can say we can live a life worthy of the calling of God. And also to have no excuse not to live a life worthy of the calling of God. So I want to look at being worthy in three areas with you today. In comparison to others, through the ploys of the enemy, and in our humanity. The first area we're going to look at is in comparison to others. We're going to look straight away. We'll go to Galatians 6, verse 4. Galatians 6, 4. Let me just read to you what it says. This is Paul speaking to the church in Galatia. Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. See, before this, um, Paul was telling the believers about helping people if they were in sin and, you know, help them out of it, but don't go into it and don't think yourself higher than those. He was saying, don't compare yourself one to another. And the reason he says that is because it can be our nature sometimes to look around, to look at others and to determine our own worth and value based on what other people are doing. That's what Paul is saying. Perhaps... I don't know, if you see someone and you're standing with someone and they're very attractive. You know, Amanda has that problem all the time with me. She, she has to stand with me constantly. I'm, I'm joking. We all, it's the other way around. We all know that, right? But you might say, oh, they are better looking than me. Or you might be at work and, and you're doing a job and your colleague does a job and it's better than you and you just kind of sit back because their one is just a little bit better than yours. What we say is, my looks, my job, or whatever it may be, it's not worthy compared to theirs. My my brother-in-law is is from Kentucky. He's big and um, like stocky. And one night we went to the to the pub. Me and Amanda, my brother-in-law and his wife. And and in this pub they had this um, this machine with like the punch ball. If you've ever seen them, and it's like the ones you hit and you get points. And so we're all in there, and he said, come on, let's go and do this machine. It's him and me standing in this place going to hit this thing. And so my brother-in-law hits it, and I'm not joking, it was so loud, the whole pub stopped silent. It literally knocked the machine, and it just, the score was like 20 million points or something like that, you know, something like that. And he looks at me, and he says, your turn, me. <laughs> do you know what? I'm, I'm smart. I said, No. 
I'm not hitting that thing. Do you know why? Because my punch would have been pathetic. Completely unworthy. I actually, I waited for him to go and I had a go and it was pathetic and completely, <laughs> completely unworthy. But you know, I wonder how often we do that. We sometimes don't do something because we think it will be worthless compared to someone else doing it. And what I mean by that is that we're saying it's actually worth less than what someone else can achieve. There's more value in others than in ourselves. Do we bring that into our Christian lives? We see people and maybe they're praying and they pray longer, they pray bigger, they pray with a better vocabulary. And we say, I'm just not worthy compared to them. Those that have their hands up, those that are worshipping, those that are just giving all to Jesus, and we think like, they must love Jesus more than me. Those people that are going off serving, if it's ministry or mission, and we think like, well, they're the special ones. You know, that's why people get elevated to this position of super saints. Paul, uh, Phil talked about it last week when he said celebrity status. And what we do is we say that there are certain people that are obviously, they're going on with God more, they're more worthy, they're better than we are. And so that's why we can sometimes say, no, get the pastor to pray because he is more worthy. Let me tell you, if you saw the thoughts going on in my mind, you'd say, I'll pray for myself. (laughs) It's not saying I won't pray for you, I don't want to pray for you. What I'm saying is that we can't see ourselves as worth less than other people. If we do that, we can sit back. We don't punch. (laughs) Do you see what I mean? We don't punch if we see people are worth more than us. Shouldn't we think of ourselves, uh, others as higher than us? That's what the Bible says, right? Philippians 2, 3. Think of others more than yourselves, as better than yourselves. But you know what? Thinking of others as better than you is different than thinking yourself worse than others. It's about promoting others, not relegating yourself. It's about building others up, but never at the cost of tearing yourself down. We promote others, but we don't compare ourselves to others. You know, if we compare ourselves to others, we will not be able to walk worthily of the calling of God because we won't be looking at him to determine how our walk is going. We'll be looking at others to determine how our walk is going. And that's dangerous. That's dangerous. There's something just as dangerous as seeing ourselves as worth less, and that is to see ourselves as worth more. In Galatians 2, verse 11 to 13, this is Paul speaking there is uh, when he meets with uh, Peter at Antioch. This is what it says, Galatians 2, 11 to 13. But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face, for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile Christians who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some, of friend, some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. 
He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish Christians followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. You've got to see the picture here. Paul turns up, and Peter's there sitting with these Gentile believers, and they're fellowshipping, they're having a good time, they're spending time with each other, enjoying each other's company. And then James's mates walk in. These people who are believers, yet they hold to Jewish traditions and customs, and they believe in the circumcision. And what they must do, they walk into this room, and they just give Peter a look. Here's Peter and the others, Jewish believers, sitting with the Gentiles, and these disciples come in, and they're looking at Peter. And then Peter must feel a bit awkward. The room must get a little bit awkward. And maybe there's a little bit of a silence comes over. And it says that Peter was afraid of criticism. So he gets up out of his seat and walks away. And you can imagine this silence as maybe two or three others get up and go and join these Jewish believers sitting at another table. And then even Barnabas, maybe the last one, gets up and walks away. I imagine the room was deadly silent. You read on from there, Paul tears into them and he gives them the gospel. He gives the believers, he gives Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, he gives him the gospel. You've got to see that these Jews would have had a certain mindset from their tradition, from their culture. Do you know what some Orthodox Jews pray? They pray, God, thank you that you haven't made me a woman a dog, or a Gentile. It's not a joke. It's funny, but it's not a joke. Basically, what they say is, we are worth more than anybody else. And so Paul must have had this in mind when he was writing through the book of Galatians. And look what he says in Galatians 3.28. There is no longer Jew or Gentile Slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ. These Jews that were, would pray that they wouldn't be like them, these Jews that wouldn't want to sit with them, you've got to see the, the magnitude of this. God says, you are like them now. You are like them. You are all one. There is no difference socially, intellectually, whatever it is. There is no difference now because you are all one in Jesus. We must not think of ourselves more important than others. We are all one in Christ Jesus and we all have a work to do. We all have a calling and ours is not as important as anyone else and it is not worth less than anybody else's. That verse we looked at in Galatians 6.4 tells us how to walk worthily. It says that we keep our eyes on our own work. You know, I had um, Luke and Amal weren't here today, but Luke, he might get some work out of this because he's just amazing at gardening. And he came round to mine and he's just like, help me, because I haven't got a clue what to do with a garden. It's like, I'm just making it worse continuously. So he comes round and, and he's just tells me what to do and basically I've got this flower bed down the side and it's just over the years where it's kind of been neglected it's just kind of mounted up and up and up um, and so 
I'm there and I said, what do I do? And he says, look, you've got to just even this out. And he said, I'm going to go off here and do something else. So seriously, I'm there for like two and a half hours doing this. Like just moving dirt, moving dirt, moving dirt, flattening it down, moving dirt. And at the end of it, look, I've done it. It's like I've got this flat flower bed and I turned around and Luke's just done this like huge boundary around the tree and it looks like so good and and everything I'm thinking look what he's done and look what I've done and I think like oh my gosh his is amazing I celebrated what he did I was like oh man that is just incredible that is incredible what you've done there but you see I could do that because I kept my eyes on my own work And you know, if you keep your eyes on your own work, you can celebrate the work of others. You won't compare yourselves to them, but you can celebrate them because you're doing all the time what God has called you to do. We are not worth less. We're not worth more. But we're worthy of the calling of God when we keep our eyes on our walk with him. Let's look at this next area then. Have you ever heard a voice say to you, you're unworthy? You are not worthy. I'm going to assume you have, and I'll tell you why I'm going to assume you have, is because I have. And the Bible says that whatever you face, be sure your brothers and sisters have gone through it at some time, and everybody goes through it if you're a believer. This is what it might look like. It might look like this Sunday morning you get up and you know what, you you get ready, you get the kids ready if you're doing that and you get to church and you're talking and everything's fine, you're all good, but the moment you go to worship, the moment you lift your hands, there's a voice that says, can you really do that after your week? Didn't you lose it with somebody this week? Are you worthy to lift your hands in worship to Jesus? Can you really do that? Maybe if you're in ministry and you're going to pray for the sick, are you going to pray for the sick? Are you worthy to do that? You know, even in my mind this week, I had a voice come into my head and say, are you worthy to tell people how to live worthy? (laughs) Where does that come from? I mean, who am I to stand here and tell you about Jesus? Who tells us we are unworthy? Romans 8, 33 and 34 says, Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? Will God? No. He is the one who has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? Will Christ Jesus? No. For he is the one who died for us and was raised to life for us and is sitting at the place of highest honor next to God, pleading for us. I love that passage, and we can't get into the meat of all that it means, but I tell you what it does say, it does say that God will never, ever, ever say to you that you are not worthy. You are not, he won't say that to you, do you believe it? Who does say it to you? Revelation 12.10 tells us the answer, the accuser, that's the devil. See, the devil doesn't want to see you worthy of salvation, worthy of sonship, and he certainly doesn't want to see you worthy of your calling in God. I'm going to read something to you. This is David Wilkerson. If you know him, he's, um, he's a man who wrote the uh, book Cross and the Switchblade. You know, Nicky Cruz, anyone read that? This is, this is what, um, something he said, and it's just so profound. 
Years ago, I had to battle Satan's lies over my own calling to ministry. It happened during the early days of the Teen Challenge ministry in New York. Our work with drug addicts and alcoholics kept me very busy, and I had to travel frequently to raise funds just to keep the ministry going. During that time, Sister Catherine Coleman asked me to come and preach at a crusade in Los Angeles. Just before I left for the West Coast, I had a terrible argument with my wife, Gwen. I left her in tears as I drove away to the airport. On the flight to Los Angeles, I had an unsettled spirit. I had said some hurtful things to Gwen. And on top of that, I have always hated to fly. So by the time I arrived in California, I was weary and worn, cast down and feeling guilty. That night, as I stood up to preach to 4,000 people, Satan's voice literally screamed in my head, you're the biggest phony in America. How can you stand here acting so holy? How can you preach to this crowd when you blew up at your wife and left her crying? You're not an overcomer. You're a compromiser. You're a fake. I froze in the pulpit. The accusing voice was, too, was so loud in my head. I couldn't shake it. It was all I could hear. In fact, I almost uttered the word myself, phony. I just stood there dumbfounded. I couldn't preach. I turned to and looked at Sister Coleman, who looked confused. I prayed silently, God, help me. What's going on? Finally, I closed my Bible, and I walked away from the podium. As I went backstage, the voice continued its lies. You're unworthy to speak. You have no right to preach the gospel until you get your life straightened out. Sister Coleman asked me, David, what's wrong? I answered, I'm sorry, I can't preach. I'm a phony. I don't know if I'll ever be worthy to preach again. On the plane back to New York, I felt even more beaten down and unworthy. All I could think of were the areas of my life where I had struggled, my temper, my covetousness. I knew the Lord had been dealing with me about these things, and yet I never seemed to get a victory over them. I thought I would never measure up. Before the plane ride was over, I believed I was totally unworthy of ministry. Ever experienced anything like that? You're a fake. You're a compromiser. You really just have to get your life straightened out before you do anything, anything at all for God. It doesn't have to be preaching. It's anything we do, anything we do for God. God can't use me. I mean, look at my life. Look at my week. Look at my day. How can God use me? How can I live a life worthily of the calling of God? You need to know that the enemy, the devil, will never come to you with an outright lie. And I'll tell you why he won't come to you with an outright lie. It's because you'll just, you won't believe it. There's no point of him coming and doing that. So what he does, he comes and tells you a partial truth. And you know what a partial truth is? Partial truth is actually a lie. I'll tell you what that looks like. I'm at home. It's cheesecake in the fridge. And I eat the last slice. Amanda comes home and says, is there any cheesecake? And I say, yes. But it isn't at the fridge. It's in, at Tesco's. And I'm going to go to Tesco and pick it up. That's a partial truth. Yes, there is cheesecake. But no, it's not where you think it is. But a partial truth is actually a lie. Let me tell you what this says. 1 Peter 1, 2. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago. 
and his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. The enemy comes, you have sinned, partially true. But there's a greater reality. The greater reality is that we have been cleansed completely by the blood of Jesus. That is truer still. Amen? Amen. Amen. See, he doesn't give you the full picture, only the part that causes you to feel unworthy. We have been made holy. We have been made worthy of the calling because we are cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Do you know the blood of Jesus, what it does? It satisfies the Father. Its primary purpose is not for us, but for God. Remember the Passover? And God said, when I see the blood on the doors, I will pass over it. It was not for us. It was for God to see. We need to see the blood of Jesus the way the Father sees it. When uh, another time I was in Kentucky and um, Kean was playing in this little water park and it was like this little equipment and play area and there was these bars coming up and this little girl ran past and like barged him and he went too first into this bars and, and so I mean it was just like blood everywhere and so I'm running and I'm holding him and and there was like so much going on everywhere. But do you know what my focus was on all the time? It was just the blood coming out of his mouth. And I was just trying to get it sorted, trying to deal with it, trying to get it to a point where he wasn't bleeding anymore so he would be all right. You know, the enemy is the accuser and he accuses us before the Father day and night. That's what he says. Do you know what he's trying to do? He's always trying to get the attention of God. Hey, have you seen what they're doing? Have you seen this? Have you seen this? Have you seen what they're up to? Look at them. They're not quite matching up. And do you know what the Father says? He says, I see the blood. I see the blood. That's the only thing the Father sees. See, Revelation 12.10 says he's the accuser. Revelation 12.11 says we overcome by what? The blood of Jesus and the word of our testimony. We can sometimes say, I plead the blood of Jesus. And I get the sentiment, but do you know that it pleads for you already? Do you know that? It pleads for you now. Now. Now, now, it's pleading for you, now. Don't let the enemy rob you of your calling. You can walk worthily because the blood of Jesus. You have been completely forgiven, cleansed. It doesn't mean that I don't ask for forgiveness or I'm not repentant if I'm wrong. That's not what it is. You know, David Wilkerson, he went home after that mission trip and he, and he went and resolved it all with his wife. That's what we do. But we can do it from that place where we know our sin has been dealt with. We know we have been cleansed and we are able to live a life worthy of our calling. I've got one more point and it doesn't mean we're near the end. <laughs> um, let's look at this last point. Uh, 
I'm going to make a huge, huge assumption this morning, and that is that most of us here today are human beings. I see a few people not too sure about that, but... Um, Let me tell you something, there's something in our humanity that can cause us to feel unworthy. And it's at this point I really need to drop something on you, and that is that you are unworthy. (laughs) I am unworthy. I want you to be worthy in your... Relationships with others, yes. I want you to be worthy when it comes to the enemy, yes. What I don't want is for you to be worthy in yourself. In Romans 3.10, it says, God says, I look around the world and I see not one who is good, not one. We may have the notion that before we came to Jesus that we were good people and we just got upcycled. We didn't. Have you ever heard someone say, oh, that person's a good person. They're not a Christian, but they're a good person. Well, they're lying. I'll tell you why they're lying, because the word of God says they're lying, and I believe God more than I believe anybody else. There was not one who was good. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Not one makes the great. We are not worthy in ourselves. I need to maybe take you down there so that I can now bring you back up because that is not the full story. Matthew 3, come with me here. Can you guys bear with me? Are you doing all right? I didn't even see what time I started, so I'm not keeping an eye. Matthew 3. It's the story of John the Baptist. You know that John the Baptist was in the wilderness and he was preparing the way of the Lord. He was uh, preaching a message of repentance. He was baptising people. And I just want to look from verse 11 to verse 15. I'm going to read. We're going to motor through this now. I baptise with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. So much greater that I'm not worthy even to be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat from his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptise him. We see a picture here of our humanity before Jesus. See, John says, I'm not even worthy. I think another version says to, another gospel says to untie his sandals. This one says to carry his sandals. I'm not even worthy to hold the shoes that you've been wearing that are covered in muck, in dung, in dirt. That, that position is still too high for me in the light of who you are compared to who I am. In verse 13, just Jesus' response, he says to him, Baptize me. Do something for me. Serve me. You are called. Come to me. And verse 14 says, John tries to talk him out of it. 
John tries to talk Jesus out of it. And we might be the same. We look at our humanity in the light of his divinity. He calls us and we say, God, who am I in my mess? Who am I in my dirt? Who am I in my stuff? How can you possibly use me? Forget the enemy. Forget others. It's just me in front of you. And I say, I'm just not worthy of this. There's something about our humanity in the light of his divinity that can cause us to feel unworthy. God is light. Perfect light. And in him there is no darkness at all. And when light hits something, it can show up imperfections. Have you guys ever just looked in the mirror and when the lighting is a little bit low, you're like, oh, I look good. I look all right. But when it's those big school fluorescent white lights, let me ask you a question. Has anyone here ever had a decent passport photo? One person said, yes, I don't believe you. Um, Because it's the light. The light is so terrible. It's so bright. and, And when you're in it, it just shows up all of your stuff. Amen? Or no amen? (laughs) All right? Okay. Multiply that by a billion and we're not close to the light of Jesus. It can cause us to feel unworthy. You know, William Bradford, he was a Puritan minister and he said, I think I sometimes have the blackest heart in all of Europe. This guy who's going after God, just pursuing Jesus, but just sees himself and says, I am so unworthy. I love how Jesus responds to John the Baptist. You know, before Jesus shows up, John says, I'm not worthy to be his slave. And then Jesus comes along and says, baptize me. He's saying, don't look at your stuff. Look at me. Don't look in. Do you know what? Introspection in the light of perfection will only cause you condemnation. Introspection in light of perfection will only ever cause condemnation. Then that last verse, verse 15, John agreed to baptise him. I can't tell you how significant that is. Here's John, camel hair clothing, in the wilderness. He didn't have a nice white robe baptising people. He would have smelt. Physically, he would have just look terrible. Spiritually, he sees his unworthiness and Jesus says, baptize me. Do you get the picture? Do you see it? Here's John the Baptist with all his stuff, with all his mess, with all his humanity and here's Jesus and he's embracing him, about to put him under the water. Sinful man holding the perfect saviour. Romans 5.8, while we were yet sinners, he died for us. Jesus was saying, you are worthy of me. My spirit witnesses with your spirit that we are what? Sons of God. We have been made worthy. We are not worthy in ourselves, but we are worthy when we embrace him. That prodigal son, remember he had this massive speech lined up when he was going to come back to the father. And it's like, I'm, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. What did the father say? He ignored completely what he was going to say. Go and get the robe. Go get the ring. Go get the sandals. Kill the calf. Let's have a party. The father will not acknowledge our pleas of unworthiness because it speaks directly against what his son has done for us to make us worthy. We have to agree with what God says 
We need to have our minds renewed. I'm going to just jump this and come to the end now. We need to have our minds renewed. God says we are worthy of our calling. You know, when you have become a Christian, you were transferred out of a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light. Your nature changed in an instant. But I think Andrew mentioned earlier today our mind, the way we think, is a completely different ballgame. You know, a caterpillar, when it goes into metamorphosis, that's right? Yeah? Okay. And it becomes a butterfly. There's stark differences, right? It can fly. It couldn't fly. It used to eat uh, leaves. Now it eats nectar. Um, it's, it's got six legs. It used to have thousands of legs. I researched all this because I didn't know the difference between a caterpillar and butterfly. But do you know there's one thing, and I don't know how they found this out, but it, it helps me. When the caterpillar becomes a butterfly, it still remembers being a caterpillar. It has memories of being a caterpillar. You can check that out. It's true. I'm not lying. The way we think does not change our nature. Our nature changed at the cross. When we gave our lives to Jesus, our nature changed in a moment. But our thinking is a different ballgame. See, if the butterfly had the mindset of the caterpillar, it wouldn't fly. If we see ourselves as unworthy, not able to be used by God, not able to live worthy of our calling, do you know what we're going to be? We'll be butterflies living like caterpillars. And that's not what God wants for us. Finish with this. Think about Jesus in his humanity. What were the distinctions? He had no sin separate him from the Father and walked worthily through the power of the Holy Spirit. What's the distinction of our humanity? We have been cleansed through the blood of Jesus, so we too have no sin separate us from the Father and can walk worthily through the power of the Holy Spirit. The question is, do we believe it? So don't look at others, don't listen to the enemy, and know he has qualified you to live a life worthy of your calling. God bless you guys. Well, that was really good, wasn't it? I think we'll all agree. So, yeah, don't, don't listen to others. Don't listen to Satan. And, yeah, you're more than qualified through the power of the Holy Spirit. What I really want to know, though, is how do they know that a butterfly still thinks about being a caterpillar? Did they ask them? And how many did they ask? Right, sorry. I can be spiritual sometimes. <laughs> okay. So anyway, before I forget, and I, I should have mentioned earlier, um, we should welcome a new arrival to the church, and it's um, Naraya Morel, is that right? Marielle, sorry, Marielle, Naraya Marielle. And she's asleep at the moment, so you can applaud her with a very, very soft applause as for welcome. She looks beautiful, and um, Rhoda very kindly wrote down some details for me. She was seven and a half pounds, 
and she was born on the 27th of August 2014. So we, we welcome Naraya to the church and uh, Stephen Rhoda, bless you in the name of Jesus. Yeah, bless your family yeah, and uh, may he prosper you and yeah, grow you even further. Yeah, thank you, Lord. Yeah, thank you. Okay, so um, are we going to have a, another song, Vince? Yeah, thank you. And then we'll have um, refreshments over here. Do hang around, um, speak with one another, speak with someone you've not met before maybe, and um, seek out prayer if, uh, 